Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Backland Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, I'm getting excited. I'm counting down the hours before I head to Florida for the PGA Golf Show. Uh, we're leaving on Friday. The show starts one week from today. I also want to mention that one of my favorite days of the year will be Thursday. The Evans Scholar Foundation of Ohio will be holding their selection committee meeting that day at Inverness. The stories of these kids that are up for the Evans Scholars Foundation uh, scholarships, uh, each and every one of them, a former caddy, are truly inspirational. I love listening to them and always come away from that day with a much better feeling about where our country and our society is heading with these young people coming along to guide our future. So, Carlos, I'm really looking forward to that. And so i got to ask you, uh, we've got uh, who we got? we got the Chiefs, and we've got the Titans in the AFC, and we got the uh, 49ers and the Packers in the NFC. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Well, uh, I mean, I'm biased. I'm a 49ers for life, so uh, oh. that's my pick to win it all. So, and uh, I really don't mind whoever's on the other side at this point. <laughs> it can be the well, Chiefs. It can be whoever it is. I mean, I know that from the optics uh, point of view, uh, it would be like what people want would be uh, Kansas City and Green Bay. Uh, but yeah. on the other side, you you can have the storyline of okay, Kansas City versus San Francisco, because that is like the the unmovable object against the unstoppable force, right? So the good defense uh, against the unstoppable offense. But of course, I mean the the the, the Titans. Everybody keeps forgetting about them, oh, and they yeah. they if they win, they would be the it would be the first time in history that one football team eliminates all three uh, divisional champions on its way to the Super Bowl because they already beat Houston on their last uh, game of the regular season. Of course, they beat uh, Baltimore last week, and if they beat Kansas City this weekend, that would be the other uh, divisional champion. So, wow, that would be an amazing story to talk about. I think it's all moot, though. I'll tell you what, if Patrick Mahomes plays 80%, (laughs) of what he did last weekend. Nobody's going to touch that guy. He is unbelievable. Um, of course, they got to play a little defense here and there. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it should be interesting. And um, I, I think you're right. The, the, whole, the, the TV networks are probably wishing for a Packer uh, Chiefs uh, uh, Super Bowl. But we'll see how it goes. Hey, Carlos, top stories this week in golf. Ozzy Cameron Smith, a guy of maiden win on the PGA Tour. He won that in that team event deal, but uh, this was his first individual win. 
All tours are back in action this week. We've got a full slate in the four call. And legendary golf designer Pete Dye passed away at the age of 94. We're going to offer our tribute to one of the great golf designers of all time. So we've got a lot of golf to talk about. Let's get to it. Let's go, Carlos. Let's go right away, and let's start with the weekend backspin. <clears throat> Every week, we recap the action on the major tours, and let's start the, the, with the PGA Tour, the Sunny Open, where, like you mentioned, Aussie Cameron Smith beat Brendan Steele in the playoff, and he won his second PGA Tour title at the Sunny Open. Uh, he was one behind his playing partner, Brendan Steele, with two to play, but... You know, the American finished bogey par to give Smith a chance and then still meets the green on the par 317, failed to get up and down for the birdie before pairing the par 518 after a wayward second shot. Then Smith made a clutch eight-footer to birdie in the final hole, Matt Steele, who then bogeyed the first playoff hole to lose. Cameron, it's worth to notice that he said he drew a little bit of the fight and mental toughness out of his recent President's Cup <clears throat> endeavor. I mean, he had a decent President's Cup. It was 2.5 points from four matches, including a single swing over Justin Thomas. You might remember he was three down after five against JT, but he clawed back to win 2-1-1. However, he was just one of two internationals to win on final day as the USA fought back to win. Here, he put up a big fight after being four over par after two holes on Thursday and came out on top. Maybe this could be a turning point in his career, saying that he got that mental toughness and that battle spirit from the President's Cup, and it definitely showed. Uh, the President's Cup, of course, took place in Smith's homeland of Australia, which is a country that is currently facing a crisis with the terrible raging bushfires, and Smith donated $500 for every birthday, for every birthday that he made at the Sunny Open, raising a total of $10,500 after 21 birthdays. It is Cameron Smith's third big individual professional win of his career after back-to-back -back Australian PGA Championship victories in 2017 and 2018. Like you mentioned before, he also won the Zurich Classic, but that's a doubles event with Jonas Blixt in 2017. It is a continuation of good form for him. He's just 26 years old. He was T3rd late last year at the Zozo Championship and the T10th in his previous start at the Australian PGA Championship. He's moving up now to number 31st in the world and rounding up for the top 10 where Brendan Steele, who finished solo second, Webb Simpson at 10 under at uh, solo third, tied for fourth at nine under were Graham McDowell, Ryan Palmer, and Kevin Kisner. Tied for seven were Lanto Griffin and Ted Potter Jr. at eight under. And rounding up the top 10 at, tie, at T9 at seven under were Cameron Davis and Hendrik Norland. Yeah, um, very, very windy gusts up to 40 miles per hour made playing conditions fairly difficult. Plus, thunderstorms blowing through made the course very soft and uh, played much long, longer than normal. Um, this event started as a media blitz uh, to get more people to visit Hawaii back in the mid-1960s. In fact, United Airlines took over sponsorship in the 1990s. Uh, Wailai Golf Course is a throwback to a time when Working the ball was important. Tight dog legs and smallish greens make it more of a ball striker's course, 
and all the medium, long, and short hitters make sure to add this course to their schedules. The weather was unusual for Hawaii. It wasn't all that great last week at Kapalua either. It was uh, overcast. Uh, it just uh, w- just was not pretty. It didn't put good images on the television screen. It didn't make me want to go over there and, and see it for sure. Um, surprisingly, after winning last week at Kapalua, former winner here, Justin Thomas, missed the cut. The harangue of Patrick Reed continued. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, this is something he's going to have to get used to. Uh, the field was all bunched to a seven-stroke spread after the second round, really tightly packed. Uh, Brendan Steele really struggled on the back nine on Sunday. Um, yeah, just uh, he gave that one away. He had this thing locked up, gave it away. Um, one of the things I saw, they put a uh, graphic up on the screen. Uh, Cameron Smith had been on the list of the most top fives over the past two years with no wins, of which he had seven. Tony Finau still leads that list with 10. Hideki and Tommy Fleetwood are second on that list with eight. So Smith has been playing really good the last couple of years. He just This is just his first real win, first full win. Um, as you mentioned, he raised a bunch of money for the uh, fires in Australia. Um, there was another announcement coming out of the LPGA today along that line that the uh, Australian Golf Bushfire Fund was created in five major golf tours, the LPGA, the Ladies European Tour, the uh, Australian Ladies uh, Professional Golf Tour, the European Tour, and the uh, PGA Tour of Australasia have all joined forces to donate $100,000 to the cause, and uh, all five tours are competing across Australia in the coming weeks. Um, So, big winner this week, Cameron Smith. Seems to one of those young guys that is fairly consistent, and this may be a signal that he's going to have a very big year on the PGA Tour. Carlos? It definitely looks like, and especially if it's like he said, that he got that mental toughness and battle spirit out of his performance from the President's Cup. So we'll see. It's definitely showing early in the year on the PGA Tour. I'll have to. Now let's. I just want, yes. I just want to add one more thing before you get away from that. He's got to. Uh, his wardrobe, though, his attire uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. The clothes he was wearing looks like they're out of like the 60s or something, the 70s at best. And uh, he needs to he needs to get his, his sponsor needs to get his game up a little bit on his attire. He's catching a lot of grief on Twitter uh, over his clothing choices. So, <laughs> well, he might want to talk to Jesper Parnevik or John Daly about that. He might get some good um, <laughs> advice on that. We'll there you go. Yeah. Hey, on the European tour, Brandon Grace shot a final round of 62 at the Firethorn course at Rent Park Golf Club in Johannesburg to win his home open for the first time in his career. He started the day four behind his countryman, Louis Usheisen, but he had a blistering round that contained eight birdies and an eagle and saw him fire past Louis. Grace has now nine European tour titles, and his win was his first anywhere for over two years after his NetBank Golf Challenge uh, title in November of 2017. He's jumping to 129 in the world from 129 to 73rd. 
was Heisen, who was uh, playing with him, might not have won, but he did make a memory of a lifetime when he made a hole-in-one during his bogey-free final round. He played very good, just not as great as Brandon did. He shot a three-under with a birdie and eagle and 16 pars, but will rue pars on all three of the par fives, which is really uncharacteristic for him. Another great story from the week was that of Englishman Marcus Armitage, who finished in third. He is the world's number 1398, and he birdied the 72nd hole to finish third alone and qualify for the Open Championship. Talk about a putt for, um, for your date on a major. It was also a great week for the 18-year-old amateur Jaden Trey Shaper, who finishing tie for six to win the low amateur honors. He was trying to become the first amateur to win this particular event since 1959 after 36 holes as, uh, for the European Tours uh, South African Open. Shaper was 10 under and one off the lead. He was part of a five-man tie for second place. And as an interesting fact, the last man who won a European Tour event as an amateur is now the reigning British Open champion. That's Shane Lowry, who was the last amateur to win on that tour at the Irish Open in 2009. So Lowry did it on his home ta- on his uh, country home country uh, Open. This would have been the same thing for uh, Shaper. So that, he looked really good. He finished uh, tied for six at the 14-under. So that's a name that we might have to start looking at in the European Tour. Fred, rounding up the top 10, Brandon Grace first at 21-under. Louis Heisen, 18-under, solo second. Marcus Armitage, solo third at 16-under. Jack Sr. and Jacko Allers at T15 at T4 at 15 under, and then tie for six were five players: Henny Duplays, George Coetzee, J.C. Ritchie, Andy Sullivan, and Jaden Trey Shaper, who was the low amateur honors. Yeah, Brandon Grace, uh, final round 62. That's uh, pretty strong. Maybe, maybe he's going to get his game back to world class form. I know injuries have been bothering him for uh, for a few years, and so. Uh, uh, maybe we'll start to see his name pop up a little bit more. Not a lot of familiar names in the South African Open this week uh, with the huge purses at other events and the compressed schedule in the United States. These smaller events really struggle to draw a quality field. Uh, surprising names to miss the cut at the South African Open. Uh, Jamie McDonald, Richard Sterney, Eddie Pepperell, and Charles Swartzel missed the cut in a home game. British amateur champ and Ernie Ells' nephew, Joe Van Rebula, was in the field. He shot minus three for two rounds, but missed the cut. So um, that's all I got for you on the South African Open, Carlos. Okay, let's talk about the Asian Tour, where Australian Wade Ornsby fired his third consecutive four-under 66 round to complete a wire-to-wire victory at the Hong Kong Open. Ornsby entered the final round with a two-stroke lead at the Asian Tour and the European Tour co-sanctioned event, never relinquished. He finished at 17 under 263 to notch a four-stroke triumph over the reigning British Open champion Shane Lowry, who closed with a 64 to record his best results in hoisting the Claret Jug in July. Silence, Jazz, Janewatananand started this final day as one of the challengers, but 
the 2019 Asian Tour Order of Merit winner, bogeyed twice in the back nine to win six shots back and forth, one place behind compatriot Gon Chadoneko. Laurie shot a dazzling 64 in that final day, but it was enough. She ended four shots behind Ornsby. Laurie and the U.S. Ryder Copper, Tiny Tony Finov, teed off together, both six shots behind Ormsby, and they needed to produce something special to chase down the 2017 champion. Lowry looked in the mood from the start. I mean, he was shipping superbly from the bunker to birdie the first, Finau making a smart pot to do the same. But the Hong Kong Open finally was for Ornsby. And the Hong Kong Open, if you might remember, was supposed to be the kickoff event of the 2019-2020 European Tour season, but was postponed after violence from anti-government process scaled. So it was worth the wait for Ormsby, who may want to consider spending some of his winnings on the Hong Kong Golf Club membership. I mean, he won there the title for the second time. He won there in 2017, became just the second winner in the 61 edition to go wire to wire. Fred Ormsby acknowledged that he couldn't keep thinking, couldn't help thinking of his countrymen and the raging fires that continue to wreak havoc there. So it's the second Australian to win this weekend and that we're, you know, thinking about what's going on there with the Fox in Australia. Yeah. Um, the highest ranked player in the field, Shane, Rowell, Shane Lowry, uh, fired 64 on Sunday, but he just couldn't catch Ormsby. Um, no two-year exemption for Ormsby on, on the European tour because it had to drop the sanction of this event, as you mentioned. Um, Youngster Jazz, Jenna Watanag, see, I, I can say that, had a good week, a fourth-place finish, and uh, Tony Finau was in the field over there. He was one more back for a solo fifth. Uh, that's about all that I saw from the Hong Kong Open, Carl. All right, with that, we'll close the weekend backspin, and we'll move on to the four call to tell you what's going to happen this weekend. And the first tournament that we're going to talk about this week, the PGA Tour will be holding the tournament formerly known as Mr. Classic, Career Builder Challenge, the Palm Springs Golf Classic, the Bob Hope District Classic, the Bob Hope Chrysler Classic, and the Humanist <laughs> Challenge presented by the Clinton Foundation. Now it's called the American Express, hosted by Phil Mickelson. Wow, a lot of names. It's played over three courses, the TPC Stadium course at PGA West, the PGA West Nicholas Tournament, and the La Quinta Country Club. They play for a purse of $6.7 million. The winner takes home $1.206 million. The defending champion is Adam Long. He'll be there. Former British Open champion Francesco Molinari will be playing for the first time since 2017 and gives the field two players from the top 20. The other is Tony Fina, who's coming all the way from Hong Kong. Ricky Fowler, who grew up just about an hour away, is playing for the first time in six years. Tournament host Phil Mickelson last played at the HSBC Champions in Shanghai late October when he fell out of the top 50 for the first time in nearly 26 years. He enters this week in this tournament at number 79 in the world. The tournament gave a sponsor's exemption to 17-year-old Ashke Bathia, who turned pro out of high school. He has missed a cut in his previous five PGA Tour events. Kevin Kistner is among the six players in the field who also played the two Hawaii events. Americans 
have won this event all but five years since the tournament began in 1960. Ryder Cup captain Steve Stricker will be in the field. He has not played since the Senior Players' Championship at Firestone in July. And Fred Adam Hatwin, who shot a 59 in 2017, has been the runner-up two of the last three years. He will not be playing because his wife just had their first child. So, daddy, daddy task. He cannot make it. <laughs> yeah, you got 156 guys playing this thing, uh, along with their amateur partners, uh, playing over three courses. It's it's quite a big event out there in the desert in Palm Springs. Uh, bring your best game, Carlos. Shoot, make a lot of birdies and eagles because low scores are required. The cut came last year at nine under par. So uh, you know this is. This is not a game for the par shooters. You got you to shoot birdie or better or you're going to go home. Uh, Phil Hose and his foundation is the beneficiary of this event. With Phil giving his name, uh, he joins Tiger and Davis Love as active players hosting PGA Tour events. Um, Phil has won here twice in the past, but hasn't played in a tournament since November. Probably going to be a little rusty, I would imagine. Uh, tour hits the mainland. Um, they're in Palm Springs. As you mentioned, Ricky Fowler opens his 2020 season. You know, Sung J.M. seems to play like every week. Could this be his week to win a PGA Tour event? I don't know. He's, he's a good player, but I don't think he's a birdie machine that it takes to win out there. Uh, Charlie Howe always starts a year fast. Um, you know, but, you know, he played over there in Hawaii last week and all that wind, that's going to mess his swing up. I wonder, it will be funny to see if these guys miss cuts that played over in Hawaii the last couple of weeks uh, because they're, you know, their, their swings, you got to hit the ball so much different, play so many knockdown shots in the wind, it's, it's a whole different deal. you got uh, Paul Casey in the field, uh, as you mentioned, Francisco Molinari, Kevin Kisner, Tony Finau. So, you know, some names, some decent names. But this tournament is more about getting younger guys in. Uh, you know, everybody else, the big guys, wait for Torrey and Pebble and uh, Riviera before they get started. Um, next story I had in there, I'm going to let that wait. So I guess I'm going to wrap up uh, everything on the um, on the American Express right now, Carl. If you want to watch it on TV, Thursday through Sunday, it will be 3 to 7 p.m. on Golf Channel. Next week, it will be the next tournament on the PGA Tour. That will be the Farmers Insurance Open. Now, the Abu Dhabi Golf Course will be the site of this week's Abu Dhabi AHSBC Championship on the European Tour. The tournament dates back to 2006 when Kristen Marco won it. That was his last victory. This is the first of the Rolex Series events on the European Tour. They play for a purse of $7 million and a winner's share of $1.667 million. Brooks Kepka will be returning to competition for the first time since injuring his knee at the CJ Cup in October. He remains the number one in the world, but it's by a slim margin over Roy McIlroy, who will make his 2020 debut next week in San Diego. The field will feature three of the top ten with Kepka, Patrick Kentley, and Tommy Fleetwood. Abu Dhabi, by the way, has six players from the top 20 compared with two playing this week on the PGA Tour. 
Shane Lowry last year and Martin Keimer in 2010 are the only players to win Abu Dhabi and a major in the same year. As for Patrick Cantley, he's going to be making his first start in an European Tour regular event. Bryson DeChambeau was there flexing his muscles uh, this week and will make his 2020 debut after going winless last year. And also Fred, former U.S. amateur champ Victor Hovland, will be playing there on a sponsor's exemption. Yeah, this kicks off a three-week Middle Eastern swing. Abu Dhabi uh, this week, Omega Dubai next week, and then the Saad International from Saudi Arabia uh, three weeks from now. So with the increased tensions in Iran, is it a good idea to travel to the Middle East for a golf tournament? Well, we'll find out. Uh, World number one, Brooks Kepka in the field. Hopefully, Iran doesn't consider him a military threat. Uh, 15th consecutive year at the iconic Abu Dhabi Golf Club. Fun fact for you, Carlos. Rory McIlroy has never won the Abu Dhabi HSBC, but has finished runner-up four times. First Rolex Series event of the year with several familiar names joining number one Kepka. You got Shane Lowry coming off his runner-up finish in Hong Kong. Um, you got 2017-2018 uh, winner Tommy Fleetwood in the field. You got Bernd Wiesberger. Danny Willett, Sergio Garcia. Sergio, hold, look out for Texas Bunkers. Uh, Martin Keimer and Louis Oosthuizen in the field. Uh, I listened to uh, Brooks Kepka's press interview. Um, by the way, can't they afford a few lights in Abu Dhabi? I watched the interview from the press room on video, and Kepka's face was completely black. There was no light on it whatsoever. Um, I thought I was watching a Club Pro Guy video from the, with the face blocked out or something. But on a more serious note, Kepka did say he was excited to be back playing. Uh, the pain that he was experiencing in his knee was excruciating towards the end of the year. Uh, with three months off, he did realize how much he missed the competition and being in a tournament. Um, so anyhow, Carlos, they're, they're playing in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, and I hope nobody shoots down any of the players' private jets. That won't happen. That won't happen. If you want to watch it on TV, <laughs> Thursday from 12 to 3.30 a.m. and from 6 to 8 a.m. on the Golf Channel. Friday will be from 3 to 8 a.m. on the Golf Channel. And Saturday through Sunday, 3.30 to 8 a.m. also on the Golf Channel. The next tournament on the European Tour will be the Omega Dubai District Classic next week. The LPGA gets going this week. Uh, for the first tournament in the on the 2020 year, they will play it at the Four Seasons Golf and Sports Club Orlando in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions with a purse of $1.2 million and the winner taking home $180,000. This is the opening event on the LPGA Tour and features four hours of network coverage on the weekend. LPGA Tour players will play alongside celebrities and athletes who will compete for a separate prize fund. They include defending champion John Smoltz, Ray Allen, Marcus Allen, and Ivan Rodriguez. Jin Young Ko, the LPGA Player of the Year with four victories and two majors last year, is not playing. The field features 26 players from the LPGA Tour, making it the most exclusive field of the year, but none of the winners from the five majors 
last year will be on the field. Also, as a note, side note, in a vote of the fans, Inbay Park was selected the player of the decade. She won 18 times on the LPGA Tour, along with six majors and an Olympic gold medal. So congratulations to Inbay. Very, very well-deserving. Yeah, they're playing right there in Orlando. Um, I plan on going out there Sunday for a little while uh, this weekend. Um, as you mentioned, uh, UEG uh, won this thing last year. Uh, kicking off the year on the LPGA Tour, uh, they're playing for more than $75 million total purses this year in 34 events. That is a far cry from where they were just, uh, you know, 10 years ago for sure. Um you got kind of two events in one in this thing. Uh, you got the 26 Tour Champions from 2018 and 2019 competing for a piece of the $1.2 million purse. Uh, but then you've got uh, twice as many celebrities chasing $500,000 in a modified Stableford format. So um, you do have Nelly Quarter, Daniel Kang, Seung Kim, Nasa Araoka, and Brooke Henderson in the field, uh, as well as Lexi. So you got, you got enough star power there. Uh, a few names. Uh, you mentioned a few. you got John Smoltz, um, Larry Fitzgerald from the NFL, Larry the Cable Guy. So uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, uh, pretty good names to play in a golf tournament. Uh, this is kind of a cool way for the LPGA to kick off its season. It's more of a relaxed atmosphere with the celebrities. And, and you've got, uh, you know, some pretty good names there as well, although you don't have the major winners. But you've got some, some pretty – Pretty hefty players there, so should be a fun event, Carlos. Should be, should be, but there's one big name missing. I know oh, I mentioned all the major winners, but Tony Romo will not be there. <laughs> that is just a big <laughs> loss for this tournament. I am I'm surprised that he didn't make it. He's got a he's got a work. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he he has a a lot of his, in his mind. He might be now. Uh, going to ESPN trying to save that Monday Night Football for just a mere $14 million a year. Just <laughs> Anyway, if you want to watch this tournament on TV Thursday through Friday, noon to 3 p.m. on Golf Channel, Saturday and Sunday, 2 to 3 p.m. on Golf Channel, and then move to NBC because from 3 to 5 p.m., they will have it for you. The next tournament on the LPGA will be the Gamebridge LPGA at Boca Rio next week. Now let's talk about the Champions Tour, the Mitsubishi Electric Championship at Walalai. This is the third straight week. A PGA Tour product will be in Hawaii. The LPGA Tour will be returning in April for the Lottie Championship in Oahu. This time for the Mitsubishi Electric Championship played at the Walalai Golf Course in Kapulehu, Kona, Hawaii. The purse is $1.8 million. The winner will take home 270000 Scotty McCarron won the Charles Cup last year and will be making his season debut here. Ernie Els will also be making his debut in the season opener against a 38-man field. Vijay Singh and Fred Jerry Kelly played the Sony Open on the PGA Tour last week. Singh missed a cut. The field will feature 12 major champions, including Tom Watson, Freddie Couples, John Daly, and Mark Alcavecchia. And Steve Stricker, who won two majors last year on the PGA Tours, of course is not here. He's in California in the desert playing this week, Fred, so we won't see him again on the Champions Tour. Yeah, 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, McCarran's there and, and Latif Goose and Jeff Magger, Jerry Kelly. Uh, but also a guy who has not won on the Champions Tour but has won a few majors, uh, Ernie Els, making his uh, Champions Tour debut. He turned 50 in October and uh, won 19 times on the PGA Tour and a, and a couple majors here and there. So uh, it'd be nice to see Ernie out there. I wouldn't bet against him, um, you know. He, uh, of course, he's been kind of busy with doing his President's Cup thing. Maybe his game's not that sharp right now, but uh, he should be able to play with these old guys. Uh, last year, Tom Lehman uh, eked out a uh, one-stroke win over David Toms in this event. Um, but, um, you know, it's always, it's always again, they're in Hawaii. What, what can be bad, you know? It's, it's good stuff. So look forward to get the Champions Tour underway in Hawaii this week, Carlos. And the last tournament that we're going to talk about is still going, has played already three rounds, and that is the Bahamas Great Exuma Classic at Sendals Emerald Bay at the Great, Great Exuma Island in Bahamas. That is on the Corn Ferry Tour, the first uh, tournament of the season. And Tommy Ganey, who was the first-round leader with a 66, then yesterday he shot a 75, but he's back on top. After three rounds, after a 67 today, so he's leading at 18 at eight under. Then tie for second, closely one behind is Will Salatori's Jose de Jesus Rodriguez, and the second uh, round win, uh, second round leader Dylan Wu and George Cunningham. All four are there. Rounding up the top ten so far, Sean O'Hare and John Oda are tied for six. Solo eight right now is Brent Grant. And then on T9, there's a big list there. Olish Niederjan, Stan McCarthy, Will Wilcox, and Ryan Ruffles. Fred, any news on this that you want to talk about before we close and start with yeah, the Yeah, just, just real quick. I was watching it just a little bit earlier today. And uh, through 36 hole, Dylan Wu had a, uh, a seven-shot lead after 36 holes, right? So he starts out the day, he birdies the first hole, then he makes a triple, uh, ends up just kicking around all day, ends up shooting a 76, gave away all the lead, and um, he's ended up tied for second with three other players. One shot behind Tommy Ganey, as you said, is uh, is now the leader. So, uh, um, yeah, other, yeah, yeah, it, 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 he just blew that big lead. I also want to mention before we uh, get out of here, Carlos, that the, the Latin American Amateur Championship uh, is going on this week. All four uh, rounds will air live on ESPN networks. Um, and so Thursday, beginning on Thursday, it's 3 to 5 uh, on ESPN2. Same thing on Friday, 3 to 5 on ESPN2. Then Saturday from noon to 2, uh, and Sunday from noon to 2 uh, on ESPN News. So go to ESPN Networks to see the Latin American Amateur Championship. And, of course, the winner of that gets an invite to the Masters. So uh, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, and, Carlos, if you want, I can just go right on into the boing. Go ahead. Go for it. It's cold and snowy right now at Boyne Resort, but they are offering a hot deal for summer golf on their 10 courses, all by top-name designers. They have a course that will suit every player. During the month of January, they're offering 15% off the Champions Golf Package 
for stays from May the 13th through June the 30th. So a little over a month, you're looking to get away in May and June. Uh, Boeing is your place. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn at Bay Harbor. Uh, 18 holes of golf at the Bay Harbor Golf Club. Breakfast for two each day. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas plus a multitude of outdoor activities. Makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. Call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or make your reservation to, by visiting boyne.com forward slash golf. That's Boyne, B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. Carlos, back to you. And with that, we wrap up our four call or preview for this weekend's action. Let's talk now of five pieces of five pieces of news worthy of mentioning, and that that is our par five news. The first one, just when you thought the Patrick Reed saga was dying down, <laughs> more fuel has been added to the fire as Golf Channel analyst Brandon Champley revealed that he received a letter from Reed's lawyer warning him over using the word cheater when talking about the American golfer. Reed's controversial incident, you might remember, took place at the Hero World Challenge, but it went a little quiet while everyone was busy enjoying their festive breaks. But seems uh, it started to pick up where they left off at the Century Tournament of Champions when someone from the crowd yelled the word, Cheater! at Reed during his playoff against Justin Thomas, you know, really, whether or not Reed will continue to receive heckles from spectators throughout the PGA Tour season, we don't know. But it seems that he's trying to cut off any connection between the word cheater and himself, and he's willing to get lawyers involved. Brandon Champley has made his feelings uh, about Reed's incident very clear. When he went all Fred out Vader and ranted about the, that situation and labeled Reed the devil of golf and called him a cheater. It was recently reported on Golf Week that Reed's lawyer has tried to silence Champley with a letter warning him over using the word cheater when discussing his client. Another part of the letter requested Champley that he sign a document to say he wouldn't call Reed a cheater again. When then Golf Week contacted Champley for a comment. Outspoken TV personality didn't seem faced by the letter. And he said, and I'm going to quote him because I don't want anybody telling me I said something that he didn't say. So in his words, he said, my first reaction was that someone is so pissed at Patrick Reed that they went back and watched all the nice things I said about him when he won the Masters and was demanding I cease and desist saying nice things. As I read further and gather to the sentence that the tape fully supported him, I wonder how did Patrick Reed find the only lawyer in the world who didn't play golf? And Fred, then he added, as I continued, I felt like I was reading Finnegan's Wake. You know, he was there referring to that uh, complex novel that points the reality of a life of the dream world by James Joyce, a famously confusing novel that makes sense to no one, not even the author. So I guess he was saying that uh, that letter didn't make any sense to him. But uh, it's, uh, you know, two things there. Um, on Champley, will he shut up and not say anything like that about Patrick Reed, or 
he really continue with his uh, outspoken uh, moments against Patrick? What do you think? Well, no, I don't think uh, I don't think he will stop talking about Patrick. Um, I think he will probably tone it down a little bit. Um, you know, he got his plenty of cause. So, but but the Golf Channel pays Brando Chambly quite nicely to be controversial. So this is perfect for him. Um, you know, and it's very difficult. And you know, an attorney should know this. It's very difficult to sue a media person for telling the truth. Um, there's no libel here. There's no, you know nothing. He's simply Chambly <laughs> is simply telling the truth. There's a, you know, this has to be one of the silliest and most hilarious news items we will talk about all year. Maybe it's one of the silliest we've ever talked about, Carlos. Uh, for Patrick Reed, I just, I just can't believe it. I, I just it just blows my mind even when I think about it. Um, the the actual uh, wording from the from the uh, letter, the purpose of this letter is to obtain assurance that you will refrain you uh, referring to Brandel Chambly will refrain from any further discrimination, publication, or republication of false and def- defamatory, uh, defamatory statements concerning Mr. Reed, including any allegations that he cheated at the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas. Well, it says in there, any alleg- let's see, uh, false and defamatory statements. Well, it's not false. It's true. He cheated. <laughs> it's very clear. It's not a camera angle. He did it. Boom. You know, he got penalized, but he wouldn't have if they wouldn't have caught it on camera. Um, yeah, so this thing is really stupid. And um, I just want to know, who would ever advise Patrick Reed to take on a television announcer who happens to be an ex-tour player with a huge following? Who ever thought that would be a great idea? Did they sit around a big conference table in a really expensive uh, attorney's office and say, uh, Randall Chambly shouldn't be saying those nasty things about me, even though they're true. Does Reed's attorney understand you can't sue someone when they're saying true stuff? Um, Reed seems to be completely oblivious to the public opinion, the rules of golf, and the meaning of conduct on becoming a gentleman. All Reed has done with this stupid letter from his attorney is give Golf Channel a ton of publicity, add to Randall Chambly's reputation as someone who likes to stir up a little controversy, and keep the game interesting. I'm sure ratings for Golf Channel went up last week during all of this. Reed clearly doesn't have a public relations person on his team telling me he can't win this battle, and he needs to be apologizing for the air and moving sand in the waste area at the Hero Challenge and vowing to never let it happen again. Instead, and, and you can see, if, you want, if he wants clarification on this, just go back and look at some of the old tape of uh, Matt Kuchar not tipping his caddy and then trying to act like it was no big deal last year. So it's the same kind of situation here, guys. Instead, he's raising the stakes and inciting even more catcalls, boos, and name-calling at tournaments in the foreseeable future. The guy is completely burning any bridges for future sponsorships and needs to get a clue. Someone at the PGA Tour needs to sit down with this guy and explain how things work in today's society and media. Carlos, this is just, how stupid can you be? I, I usually give golfers a little bit more credit for their intelligence uh, over some of the other sports. 
But this guy evidently is so dumb, it's amazing he knows to come in out of the rain. Hmm. Well, first of all, Patrick, I didn't call you a cheater, okay? So don't serve me with a letter. It was Fred, okay? He is the one saying it. Um, so I don't want any part of that. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Chambly now, to being truthful now, Chambly just was just one of many critics who called out Reed after that incident. And uh, in the letter, like you mentioned, the attorney mentioned how Chambly criticized the, the, the Reed's behavior, but he didn't threaten a lawsuit or actions against him. He just uh, mentioned, you know, a cease and desist and sign a letter saying that you would not continue to do that, which I don't think is going to happen, <laughs> first of all, because if, if if that would be on a case, he would have to be walking with his lawyer all the time down the course, and whenever somebody calls him cheater, like it happened in Hawaii, they serve him with a lawsuit. He's calling me a cheater. That's just ridiculous. It's not going to happen. What, like you're saying, what he has to do is just shut up, grow from it, and even if you want to do it right, just admit it, man. I, I was a lapse. Of, I was lapse-minded there. I, I don't know what I was doing. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. You know, it, he would have been better off doing that than just try to keep fighting and fighting and fighting against it. And that's what he's finding right now. He's just finding a lot of resistance because why? He did it and, okay, you did it. Just admit it and move on. That's what you should do so that people just move on eventually. But uh, by keep fighting on it, first of all, Chambly's not going to shut up. He's not going to say anything. <laughs> no. Not no. no, that's not going to happen. So not going to happen. Uh, and there's not going to be any precedent here. There's no no basis for a lawsuit anywhere, uh, because he said, and he didn't call him cheater anyway. I remember what Brand uh, Chambly said very well. He said to defend what Patrick Reed did is defending cheating. It's defending breaking the rules. So the word cheater was not there. He said defending cheating. But anyway. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I just think he's yeah. just uh, trying to – he's fighting it the wrong way. He would just – he should just move on. I mean, people just forget about it. Just like happened to him last time when he was uh, – after winning the master, he started to do things on the course not outside or not talking or anything like that after what happened on the Ryder Cup. He started to do things on the course, and he was eventually again on the Ryder Cup when everybody would say, no, who's going to pick him after that, you know? So he just has to do it on the course and forget about what uh, doing it with his mouth, which really is not good the way he does it. Anyway, any, any final thoughts on that before we talk about one of my favorite topics? No, just when you think that Patrick Reed can't get any worse for him, he goes and screws something up and then compounds the air. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. These people should be smarter than that. They should have people around them that are smarter than that. The PGA Tour should help him and take care of this problem. So uh, maybe some people just can't be helped. I don't know. Whatever. I'm over it. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't believe you, Brett. <laughs> 
I don't believe you. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> hey, one of my favorite subjects. I cannot wait to talk about it. I hope there's time enough here on the show so that I can say everything that I want to talk about it. The PGA Tour has unveiled a new pace of play policy that will include keeping a list of its lowest players on a week-to-week basis and levying penalties for excessive chat time. Based on chat link data for the, the, the tour compiles, players will be pay, placed on an observation list with warnings given if they exceed 60 seconds to play a shot and a second bad time resulting in a one-stroke penalty. The fine structure the tour has in place has also increased substantially for various warnings. But one catch here, the observation list will not be made public and only those players who are on it will be notified. You know why, right? Because Eduardo Molinari published that list. So this call it this, the Eduardo Molinari policy. The PGA Tour announced in August at the Northern Trust Tournament after a significant slow play involving Bryson DeChambeau that it was speeding up its work on a new plan that it had been considering for months. Supposedly, a trial period will commence with the new regulations to go in effect the week of the RBC Heritage in April. And Tyler Dennis, who's the PGA Tour's chief of operations, said that the previous system concerning groups that are out of position will remain in effect as well. So currently, any group that is deemed out of position, a hole behind the group in front or with a significant gap, is told it is out of position. That means any player in that group can be timed, and if a time limit of for, for various shots, which is typically 40 seconds, is exceeded, the player is warned. A second bad time results in a one-shot penalty, which has happened in an individual stroke play uh, event on the PGA Tour just once, going back to 1995. So it was really a laughing stock. But anyway, to get on the observation list, a player's historical shot length data will be reviewed over a team tournament rolling period to identify the slowest players. Those players will be then subject to a 60-second timing for all shots. If a player exceeds 60 seconds, then he will be timed on an individual basis, even if his group is in position. But if no infractions occur within two holes, he will no longer be timed. Another timing situation will be instituted if any player in the field is observed to, make, to take more than 120 seconds to play a shot. Without a good reason for doing so, he will be given an excessive shot time. So the fines will begin for a second excessive shot time in a season at $10,000 and increase to $20,000 for each additional offense. A player who has 10 cumulative or observation list timings gets a $50,000 fine with a $5,000 added for each additional timing. Dennis uh, said that all timing of strokes would be done by on-course rules officials. You know, this is, I consider this a good first step. I still think this is just not enough. I get it. They're not going to make it public because, of course, if not, there will be the Eduardo Molinaries of the life and will be publicizing, and that's not what the PGA Tour wants. They just don't like those things. They don't do it with the drugs. 
uh, testing and the positives and all that, less they're going to make it with this. But I don't like that, for example, that part where they are saying that uh, when they're playing and they are on the clock and after two holes, they just, okay, you didn't have an infraction. You won't be on the on the timing again. No, you have to make it all 18 holes. You can't do that because very easily a player, and I'm not going to name names, but everybody knows all the slow players out there, uh, can easily say, okay, these next two holes, I'll just play them out and that's it, and I'm off the clock, and then I'll go back to my old ways. So, you know, I still think there's a room for improvement, but at least it's a good starting point with the policy of uh, the PGA Tour slow play, which already you can see that it's reacting to all the pressure that's been on them. And I hope really certainly that they crank them, crank on it, because definitely this is just a cancer on the on the on the golf tournaments. Slow play has to go for it. it has to go. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It, this is a uh, this is a first step. Uh, you know, it's something, and I know you've been crying for this for for a long time uh, with slow play on tour. Um, and uh, yeah, a couple of things. Number one, the technology is there. Shot Link records every stroke, uh, every shot, the times. It, it, it's all there. So the technology is there. Why not use it? Uh, you know, keeping track of individual players on the ground, that obviously doesn't work all that well. Um, and then the other thing, the issuance of penalty strokes, it's only going to take about two or three penalty strokes to be handled out, and play is going to speed up. I guarantee it. Um, guys are, you know, they they get mad when they don't make one birdie or, you know, miss a birdie putt or make a bogey. So a penalty stroke, I mean, that's a big deal um, for these guys that are playing for a lot of money. So um, it's going to get their attention for sure when they start handling out penalty strokes. And then the third thing is they still going to keep everything secret, though, this observation list, who they're watching, all this stuff. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate, but that's pretty much the way the PGA Tour does stuff. And then uh, one other thing I found a little bit funny, um, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has volunteered to be on the Tour Policy Board, and they keep rejecting him. They don't want him on there. So I don't know how long they can keep him off, but – but uh, um, you know, he's the guy that uh, that all the a lot of this is centered around. So uh, it'll be be uh, interesting to see how it all plans out, uh, Carlos. I'm sure uh, this will be a continuing story, and I'm just waiting until they start handing out penalty strokes because that's when the uh, you know proverbial uh, cow dung is going to hit the fan. Oh yeah, I, I can't wait to see. Uh, I was watching Bryson DeChambeau talking in his presser. Um, about this because he was asked about it there in Abu Dhabi. He says, I love it. Come bring it on. I mean, I, I told you last year, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> Bryson, you know, you when you put slow play on the dictionary, you might be the second name <laughs> that comes out after J.B. Holmes. 
you're just in between JB Holmes and Ben Crane. I mean, just just Ben incredible. Crane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so serious. I mean, he Ben Crane would say that he's not slow. He just can't stand very well, so he has to take some time to to play. But um, I'm not going to keep mentioning names. I said I was going to say You know, I'll follow that shot link data and I'll see who really slow. And if it's, uh, I'm going to call them out. I don't care. I'm going to. There you go. Uh, I know. I know. I might, might get a lawyer. I'm gonna get a cease and desist. So yeah, I know. I was just, I know. Don't talk about. Uh, don't talk my, about Patrick Reed. Yeah. The, the unfortunate thing is I don't have the stature that Brandon Chambly, Chambly has, so <laughs> I'll have to cease and desist. So anyway, we'll see. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Morgan Pressel, who started the new year continuing her fight to end the disease that took her mother's life. The 13th annual Morgan and Friends Fight Cancer event at St. Andrew's Country Club in Boca Raton in Florida on Monday raised $1,622,000. It marked the fifth consecutive year the effort topped $1 million, raising total funding to $9.5 million over the years. You might remember Pressel's mother, Catherine Crixton Pressel, died in 2003 of breast cancer. Breast cancer. So the effort's impact has reached far beyond that. With the moins raised, with the monies raised, uh, supporting patient care and research at Boca Raton Regional Hospital, funding the Catherine Crixton Memovan, uh, and also helping efforts at the Sylvester Cancer Center at the University of Miami. Julie Inkster, Paula Creamer, Lexi Thompson, Brooke Henderson, Brittany Lincecum, Soyeon Yu, Jessica Corda, Jirina Pillar, Billy Horschel, and Martin Hall all joined Pressel in the effort. Uh, she grew up there in St. Andrews. She still lives there today with her husband, Andy Bush, and Fred. She credits that the tight-knit community for continuing to inspire her with its level of support in honor of her mother's memory. And it's good to see that, you know, for the fifth year in a row, it has surpassed a $1 million mark. Yeah, we talk about this uh, event pretty much every year, and it has just grown over the years. She has a nice group of friends there, LPGA players, and, and some other people to come in and help uh, for celebrities and, and, and lend their name and, and be involved. So, uh, to raise, you know, at an average little uh, outing, I mean, if you raise, you know, 5000 to $10,000 at a little outing at your local golf club, I mean, that's pretty good. Now, I'm not knocking that. That's fantastic, right? But to knock down a million dollars for an 18-hole round, um, that's some serious, serious dollars. Uh, for a one-day event, and uh, th- this thing has grown over 13 years, and uh, it just uh, continues to grow, and, you know, it's raised over $9 million now uh, for the 13 years. To give you an idea, the Marathon Classic uh, has been around since 1984, so that's, uh, what, uh, 34 years or something like that, um, and uh, 36 years. And uh, they've raised a little over $10 million in 30-some in years from a full-blown golf tournament. So to raise $9 million over 13 years for a one-day uh, little funsy event like this, phenomenal stuff. Congratulations to Morgan Pressel and all the other pros that take part in it, Carlos. 
All right. Now let's talk about after wins in Germany and Des Moines and a loss in Scotland, Julie Inkster's streak as Team USA Solheim Cup captain has officially ended. In 2021, it will be Pat Hurst who will take over as the leader of the American club when they play the Europeans at Inverness Club in Toledo. Hurst where? was at where? Inkster, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. Hurst was at Inkster's side during the latter's captaincy event. Uh, Hurst calls some of the best of her professional career. Hurst has six LPGA wins, including one major, which was the 1998 A&A inspiration on her resume, played in five Solheim Cups. Team USA won each of those Solheim Cups, and Hurst finished her Solheim Cup playing career with a record of 10-7-3. Fred, it was really the right choice. There was nobody else they could go to. Now, combining her own explained experience with those valuable insights that she gained as being one of Inkster's assistant captains, I think she's more than qualified for this job, and she's saying that she feels ready and motivated for the challenge of trying to win the cup back on home soil. And I am sure that all the players that are going to be in that team are willing to play for her 100%. Yeah, I think so too. Um, And, you know, we were going through some of the names, uh, and we kind of thought maybe that May Pat Hurst maybe wasn't a big enough name. Uh, that maybe she wouldn't get her shot, but uh, I think probably Julie Inkster probably lobbied for this. Uh, you know, Pat was a uh, very good assistant captain for her over the last three, and she's learned a lot. Um, she has Solheim Cup experience um, and a good record. So, um, yeah, I, I think she'll be do very well, I, and I'll look forward to talking to her. I'm sure she'll be in and out of Toledo over the next, uh, the next year. So uh, I'm sure we'll have some interviews with her and get to talk to her. Um, you know, just also to help build her resume a little bit, she helps, uh, she's an assistant coach for the uh, San Jose State University women's golf team. Um, and um, she, so she gets to help with that a little bit. And um, I don't know, should be good. You know, she's got the experience. They know what to do. It's all about making the players feel comfortable and get them together. And, and so uh, so they all go out and perform their best. Uh, so they're ready to go when, when, the, uh, when the lights come on. So, uh, congratulations, Pat Hurst, and we look forward to talking to her when she comes in Toledo, Carl. Most definitely. Hey, the last piece of news, Top Golf has taken a big step toward an initial public offering of stock with the hiring of investment bankers to help it through the process this year. The Dallas-based company is working with J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley, according to a source familiar with the matter. The IPO could be valued at $4 billion, according to a source. The company declined to comment on whether it's working with investment bankers, which Bloomberg first reported yesterday. CEO Dolph Burley told the Dallas Morning News in November that an IPO was one of several possibilities that Topgolf could use uh, to pursue as it looks towards its next phase of growth which really has been very fast. They have been expanding rapidly from 39 locations two years ago to 60 last month with the opening of a three-level 65,000-square-foot facility in Cleveland. It now has three locations in the U.K., one in Australia. Late last year, Topgolf said it was expanding into Mexico, Canada, Europe, and Asia. Matt Kennedy, analyst at the Renaissance Capital, 
said Top Golf would be the first company of its kind to go public since the Dallas-based Dave & Buster's IPO in late 2014. Dave & Buster's has a market cap of $1.23 billion right now, and coincidentally, Burley, the CEO of Top Golf, is a former president and COO of Dave & Buster's, so he have that experience with that company previously. Top Golf has an abundance of markets left where it can open, and developers are aggressively going after the entertainment venue that combines golf with food and drink. Entertainment retailing is a category that shopping centers are adding to reinvent aiding properties with good real estate. So Fred Analyst praised the brand for its first mover advantage and a national reputation. Various versions of its locations under development and proprietary technology, all are qualities that make it tougher for potential competitors, especially if they go public. There's a lot of technology out there, though, and there are some competitors popping up. Uh, Top Golf has made a huge splice in the entertainment industry, and millions of people visit their locations every year to hit a few golf balls, uh, uh, you know, eat a couple burgers, drink a few adult beverages, and have a little fun. Um, their model with the chips inside the golf balls that instantly relay data to the screens at every hitting bay, coupled with the great food and drink, has been a big success for their owners. And now it's time to reap their reward and allow the public to buy in. Uh, they currently have 60 locations, as you mentioned, around the world. And this impending IPO was valued at more than $4 billion. Some are even saying over five. Um, and that's right, that's B, that's $4 billion with a B as in boy. Now that is some serious money for a fancy driving range. Uh, Topgolf already has locations in the U.K., Australia, uh, so they are around the world. Um, and Carlos, with several knockoffs coming on board, uh, competition from various simulators and, and uh, Trackman driving ranges, um, in, they're they're really kind of splitting out the market. So for for real golfers, you know, the, if you want to just go and have a party and have a girls' night out, or you want to, you know, take the little league team or something and have a deal, then that's what this thing is for. But uh, you know, it's not really for real golfers. Um, but um, this is a chance for the owners, the people that started this, to kind of get a big wad of cash, and also spread the risk among millions of stockholders. So it looks like the American dream coming true to me, Carlos. Oh, definitely. And uh, I know the reason why I say there's no competition to them is because they're really the only ones that big already. Anybody else trying to come into their business uh, of entertainment, because that's what they are. And we agree it's not for the real golfers. There's different things for the the real golfer like you're mentioning but if you just want to go have a good time just go with friends and uh for the regular casual player that will go and say hey you know i'm just gonna go there and have a good time listening to music have a good food have some drinks with some friends uh that's what that is all about and uh, they really have uh there's a reason why they have grown so fast and there's a lot of uh lot of requests there's a lot of demand for them so definitely they have earned all that they have and uh well good luck to them i mean success uh has come because they have done things right on their piece of entertainment which is 
again, it's just like going bowling, but instead of that, it's just going golfing. Yeah, like, so yep. that, that's what it's all about. With that, we wrap up our Part 5 news, and now we move on to our VIG, very important guest of the week, which is tied into what's going to be our practice range, which is a tribute to Pete Dye, the Picasso of golf courses. And our guest is Chris Lutsky, who has an all-inspiring background in the golf course design and construction industry. He knows both how to design a golf course using traditional architectural media, such as drawing and models, and how to ensure the construction of the golf course. Construction is done in such a way that details make the project an award winner. Chris started his career in the golf course world at 18 years old, working on Pete Dye's masterpiece, Black Wolf run in Kohler, Wisconsin. It was at that time that Chris caught the golf design bug and showed a knack for creating dynamic form from landscape. Chris's work ethic and dedication to creativity was what caught the guy's eye. And then Pete transported him to down to Florida to focus on the projects that he had in that region, including nationally recognized Old March in Palm Beach, Florida, during Chris's tenure with Dye, he found a few years to go back to school to receive a pair of degrees from Michigan State University, the first in turf science and then in landscape architecture. And his architectural education, coupled with his gift for creating, uh, has enabled him to manifest some of the most dynamic forms in the golf world. But it's his special connection to Pete Dye that brings us to this uh, VIG today. So, anything that you want to say about the interview before we play? No, uh, we've had Chris on the show before, uh, talking about some of the uh, courses he works on and that kind of thing, uh, with his partner uh, uh, Paul Benice uh, out of uh, Detroit up here. But uh, Chris is a really good guy and uh, works for the Dyes for over 30 years and knows both Pete and Alice. Knew both Pete and Alice intimately. And uh, I thought, who better than to uh, be a part of this tribute to Pete Dye than Chris Lutsky, who has been with them for a long time. Carl? Let's play it. We are happy to welcome back Chris Lutsky to Back Nine Report. Chris was a longtime uh, crew member, uh, engineer, architect, designer for Pete Dye. Of course, now he runs his own and operates his own design firm along in partnership with Paul Albanese. We, had, we asked Chris to come in tonight because of his long relationship with, with Pete and, and uh, working with him for over 32 years. Chris, it's great to have you back on uh, Back Nine Report. Yeah, uh, Fred, happy, happy to be here. Uh, appreciate the call. Chris, I know you're talking to me from Wisconsin tonight. Uh, you're up there uh, doing a little bit of work uh, for the uh, cola companies. Uh, I would think it's getting about a little winter up there. It's getting a little late in the season to be doing much work, isn't it? Well, it really is. But, uh, you know, with the exception of the month in November, we were able to do quite a bit of work, actually. Uh, of course, now it's, I think it's over with for the season anyway. You know, we've been doing a lot of pre-Ryder Cup work at Whistling Straits for the last well, the last couple of years, actually. And then uh, we're also working on a practice enhancement area over at, uh, at Blackwell Front. So, yeah, it's nice to have some work uh, local. Pete Dye lived one of the most remarkable lives in golf that uh, just about any golf nut could dream of. Uh, he was a top amateur golfer, 
competed against the likes of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus back in the day. He even got to know Donald Ross uh, pretty well. He walked Piners number two with him several times. He and uh, Jack Nicklaus collaborated on several golf courses. And he designed some of the most acclaimed golf courses in the world. Uh, knowing him, him as well as you did, what was one of the things uh, that Pete would tell us that he was maybe most proud of? He was really honored to have met uh, Mr. Ross way back when in the 50s or when he was over near Pinehurst Number 2. He talked about Donald Ross often. He modeled a lot of his design techniques. Even at the ocean course at Kiowa, there's a handful of people probably know this, but we're half or two-thirds of the way through the ocean course, and Pete made a trip up to uh, Pinehurst just to walk around and and uh, get some some uh, design inspiration, and then he came back and he finished the ocean course. So I, I always thought that was a neat story. Christian, I was reading something uh, when I'm do, doing some of the research uh, on Mr. Dye. He had to change things as he went along, you know, as every designer does. But a lot of the things he did early in the career, other guys started copying, and so he had to kind of change and come up with some new things, didn't he, as he got a little bit older to make the designs really his own and unique. Well, and that's true. And if it was, you know, the railroad ties or some of his other design techniques, uh, he was getting copied. And, you know, we would take a lot of time and a lot of effort, and we'd make a lot of changes, and we'd try to come up with new ideas. And a lot of times he'd, he'd put that on the shoulders of the, of the crew or the team design of the course to come up with something new. Of course, anything we came up with, he always tweaked and changed a little, but he was able to find new ways to design uh, his holes kind of through that process. You worked with the dyes for a long time, and Pete and Alice actually encouraged you to continue your education and ultimately go on your own. Uh, but it couldn't have been easy every day working for someone uh, in those close uh, situations. And there had to be days when you were kind of uh, – you know, arguing back and forth. Was was Pete a good guy to work with, or were there some days where you just had to kind of tread lightly and not uh, not get on the boss's nerves? Pete was the best to work with, and I don't ever remember getting in an argument. I'm not even certain I remember ever getting frustrated. And Pete made huh. a lot of changes, and, you know, he came in and, and switched things around, and he always would get down on his hands and knees, kill up a pile of sand, He'd have dirt under his fingernails, and he'd rebuild that hole. If he changed his mind or if we didn't understand it right the first time, he'd always explain what the changes were going to be and why, and he'd take an enormous amount of time. Uh, by the time, you know, you realize if he changed his mind of what he wanted to do, you were happy to get back in there and, and fix it. Wonderful person to work for. Uh, he could deal with any kind of personality, as far as I could see. And believe me, he you know he dealt with with uh, hundreds of different types of personalities on, on on these job sites, and he was able to keep everybody happy for the most part. You know, you bring up a good point because uh, just like uh, Whistling Straits, uh, going to be hosting the Ryder Cup later this year, as you mentioned. You know, some of the arguments and disagreements, uh, you know, that uh, he and Herb Kohler had uh, when they were building that are kind of legendary. Uh, do you have any stories that you might uh, share with us? Uh, 
uh, as they were building those properties out there and, and uh, hauling all the dirt in and, and doing all the things that they had to do? And, and there were a lot of things that they had to do. And, you know, you don't always agree, or Pete didn't always agree with everything Mr. Kohler wanted to do and, and vice versa. They battled it out a few times. Most of the times it was it was over, you know, a tree or a group of trees. But they always remained friends to this day. And I'd imagine Pete probably got his way 99% of the time, but there were a few battles that he did lose. But now they're they're just good stories. Mr. Kohler has always thought the world of, of Pete. Was there one course that you felt maybe was his absolute favorite? You know, when you think of uh, Alistair McKenzie, you think of Passive Campbell. When you think of Donald Ross, you think of number two. Uh, is there, you know, I, I guess when we think of uh, uh, Pete, we think of, you know, number 17 or TPC at Sawgrass. Is there, is there one course that maybe he was really, really fond of? Well, I, I think that has a lot to do with where he was in his career, you know. I know Crooked Stick has always had a place in, in Pete's heart because it meant a lot to him. He basically built it together with Alice more so than any of the other ones. But, you know, so that course obviously uh, would always stand out, and Pete would talk about it often. But the, the Teeth of the Dog, Whistling Straits, French Lick, those three courses I know also meant a lot to him. And uh, if you ever ask him specifically what his favorite course was, uh, or if you said, is uh, Whistling Straits your favorite course, he'd always say, it's as good as anything I've ever done. So that was always his way of avoiding that question. Chris, one last thing before I let you go. Um, what do you think um, Pete would like to be remembered as, or if you're writing his uh, uh, biography or, you know, a, a tribute to him, what, what do you think he would like to be known as, or what do you feel he should be remembered as? Well, I think Pete and Alice both, through the course of their golf, uh, their design careers, you know, they created a family uh, that wasn't their own. And they brought people in, and they were patient, and their doors were always open. And I, I just think they have an enormous amount of architects and other people under them who have went on and, 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 and have done some pretty spectacular things. So I, I think that's what Pete really enjoyed doing was helping these young kids and watching them grow and sending them to college. He, he really did in, enjoy that. We've been talking with Chris Lusky, who worked with Pete Dye, Pete and Alice Dye, for over 30 years, now is on his own with Albanese and Lusky course design. And so, Chris, uh, thanks again for coming on, talking to us about Pete a little bit. We really appreciate it. And then uh, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again down the road. All right, Fred. There you have it. That was Chris Lutsky. And, Fred, um, a person close to Pete Dye and definitely has some stories about it, somebody that grew his business and his knowledge under one uh that can be considered a Picasso of the golf courses. And uh, that's who we're going to talk about right now, about Pete Dye on the practice range. So I'm going to let you, if you want to say anything else about that interview before we actually talk about Pete Dye and uh, the tribute that we have for him. Um, no, nothing more about the, uh, nothing more about the interview. Uh, I, Chris, it was great talking to him. Uh, we actually talked for probably a half an hour or so, 
Um, he's involved, he, he kind of mentioned it there, he's involved in a project up at uh, Whistling Straits uh, at Black Wolf Run. They're, they're, we can't really talk about it just yet, but uh, there'll be an announcement uh, probably come this summer of a new project that they're doing up there and, and he's working on. But, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, he, Chris is a great guy, and he uh, he really feels fortunate to have been able to work uh, for Pete for all those years and, and uh, uh, come up through the system. And uh, very sincere in the fact that uh, Pete loved to help uh, his younger guys come in and send them off to college. He paid. He paid for their college uh, to 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 get that in and get that done. And then when we had Chris on before, he talked about even after Pete, uh, or, yeah, even uh, even when Pete got bad, uh, you know, with dementia, uh, he would talk to Alice every day, and Alice would make sure he was doing what he needed to do to get certified for the American Golf Course Superintendents Association. Uh, full membership. So, um, you know, the the dies looked out for the people that work for them, and and uh, Pete was very proud of that. Definitely. And now let's talk about Pete Dye, who designed many of America's most famous golf courses and became known maybe as the mad scientist of golf architecture for his imaginative and supremely challenging layouts. He died last Thursday in the Dominican Republic, which is the site of several dye family courses, including the Teeth of the Doug, which is really an amazing golf course. But a lot of people associate him with uh, the TPC Sawgrass Stadium course in Punta Vedra. But before he made a name for himself developing that iconic golf course, he played his college golf at Dubstrad in Orlando while attending Rollins College. Little did he know in 1948 how much influence he would have on the game of golf. You know, uh, the VP and senior golf course architect for Arnold Palmer Design Company, Brendan Johnson, said that he would see his golf courses, particularly TPC Sawgrass and Harbor Town, just jump out of the screen. So it wasn't Tiger or Jack who had the biggest influence on Johnson. It was actually Pete Dye and his creativity of molding holes and not shots. Players like uh, PGA Tour veteran Pat Sheehan have competed in the Players' Championship as well as tournaments on several other Pete Dye courses. And he has clear memories of playing on a Pete Dye golf course. And he said, uh, and I'm going to quote him, he said, scary holes to look at. You have to figure out how to play them. It wasn't just a shot and go find it. It was definitely strategy to play the holes, all of them. A Pete Dye course typically has the name, the nickname of being diabolical in reference to his last name. It was Dye's imagination and artistry that uh, taught a lot of people about becoming a, an architect themselves. Those traits influence his course designs. Dye made golfers and writers of the sport ask questions like, how did he do that? I can't believe he did that in that, in that, uh, in that hole. Uh, his courses have hosted many major championships and can be found around the world, all of them offering something different for everyone. That was Pete Dye. He would go to anywhere and just see something and say, okay, I have to change this and make it special and unique 
that place. So diabolical or not, each of Pete Dye courses is a special one. Yeah, and uh, I can say I remember uh, the teeth of the dog because it's the one that was closest to me there in the Dominican Republic. And, uh, you know, he will always be remembered for his lasting impact on the sport uh, and everybody that has played one of those courses remembers it forever. And that's how Pete Dye will be remembered forever in the world of golf, Fred. You know, you've got C.D. McDonald here in the United States, uh, Seth Rayner, Alistair McKenzie, Donald Ross, uh, Tillinghast, uh, you know, um, Perry Maxwell, a few others. Um, Pete Dye, when you're talking about the best golf course designers in the history of golf, Pete Dye is right up there with all those guys. Um, and maybe even top one, two, three. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but he's right up there. Um, Carlos, I, his life was amazing. Um, you probably don't know where he grew up. Do you, do you know where he grew up by chance? Uh, just, nope. Just a, little, sure. just a little hint. Just a little hint. Urbana, Ohio. Uh, just in case you didn't know. Um, his his dad actually uh, designed a little nine hole golf course in Urbana. His, his, his dad was a golfer. He wasn't you know wasn't a golf architect. He had a, a different another job, but he he designed this little nine hole golf course in Urbana. And Pete grew up playing this thing. Um, so when he served in the army, he had experience maintaining golf courses. So when he got back to Fort Bragg down in North Carolina, the Army made him the greenskeeper of the officer's golf course. Uh, so when he wasn't working on the golf course, he and some officers would drive the 30 miles around the lake over to Pinehurst and play number two. And he got to know Donald Ross quite well while he was there. Ross would would uh, come out and walk with them around number two and, and – uh, Pete could pick his brain a little bit and talk to him about uh, golf course architecture and building a golf course and maintaining it and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that relationship uh, served him well in his future vocation, uh, although he didn't know it at the time. You know, he was, a, he was a top amateur player. He competed against Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus uh, back in the day. Uh, he even designed a few courses with Jack Nicklaus as a, as a golf course consultant, uh, Harbortown Lynx on Hilton Head was one of those. He had a long and successful marriage to Alice, who traveled extensively with Pete and was very involved with every phase of the business. His two sons are both involved in the golf design industry. Little known fact, uh, Pete Dye's real name is Paul. No middle name, Dye. But because his father was also Paul Dye, the members at that Urbana Golf Club, when he was growing up and playing there, started calling him P.D., his initials, uh, Paul Dye, P.D., to distinguish him from his father's name. Later, the initials P.D. became P.D., and then Pete as he got older. So that's how he ended up being Pete Dye. Carlos, there's so much I could say about Pete Dye and his influence on the golf course design industry. I'm just going to tell one story uh, and then turn it back over to you. But for a long time, I was not a Pete Dye fan. 
I did not like his golf courses. And when faced with the prospect of playing a Pete Dye course, I compared it to a drudgery similar to a trip to the dentist. Several years ago, while on a media trip, we were scheduled to play one of Dye's diabolical creations, and I was not looking forward to it. I had seen the course on television, uh, in, uh, actually in a web.com tour event, and it befuddled golf professionals and made them look pretty foolish. So I knew it was difficult. I knew I was in for a long day on the links. And uh, before we teed off, I decided I was just going to make it somewhat tolerable. I decided to move up a tee, and voila, it made all the difference in the world. I instantly became a Pete Dye fan and came to understand his brilliance. His designs could accommodate a high handicapper, a junior, a woman, or a short hitter if the golfer would play the correct tee. His designs are modeled and, and, and open for every skill level of golfer. From the tips, his courses are difficult. Sight lines, approaches, fairways tilt, and hidden bunkers can drive a low handicapper to the 19th hole to drown his sorrows. But from the forward tees, the trouble can be avoided. That's there for the better golfer. There's room to run a ball up, and, and bail areas are, bailout areas are available if you look for them. When I had the opportunity to play the ocean course in Kiwa, one of the most demanding courses in the world, I informed my playing companions that I didn't care what tees they wanted to attack from, but I was going to play the most forward, and I had a blast. It was one of the most enjoyable rounds of my life. His genius is creating a golf course that will fit any skill level. And then to wrap it up, Carlos, Pete Dye lived the life that most golfaholics only dream of. Through it all, he remained down to earth, helped several other young designers get educations and experience they needed to go out on their own, form their own companies. In addition, he gave us some of the most iconic golf courses over time, TPC Sawgrass, Wissick Straits, French Lick, Ocean Course at Kiwa, Crooked Step, to name just a, a few. The Stadium Golf was his idea. Railroad Ties, Island Greens. They were all Pete Dye inventions that were ahead of their time and cemented Dye as one of the great designers in the history of golf. Pete Dye will be sorely missed in the golf business, but his design ideas and concepts will live on well after his lifetime. Carlos, back to you. So like Arnold Palmer's uh, Dye's career, we can say that it coincided with the rise of golf on television. And uh, he was known as the Marquise de Sade. He knew how to exploit that medium. I mean, from innovative stadium designs, like you mentioned, at Sawgrass and the PGA West, and what you can call an abstract expression is mounding and bunkering at Whitley Straits, those visual impact of his courses has always made for great TV and has had their frequently polarizing effect on the players. Beyond his own courses, we already talked about it. one of his most important contributions has been his mentorship. We talked about uh, in the interview with Chris Latsky, but um, his mentorship of what is the next generation of architects. It isn't impressive. We talked, when you talk on football and the head coaches, you say, what is the tree, the coaching tree that they have? And you know how good that coach was. 
he Pete Dye has an impressive family tree, if you come to think about it. Uh, both literally, his sons, like you mentioned, Perry and PB, have had long careers and figuratively as designers, ranging from Tom Doak and Bill Core to Lee Schmidt, Jim Urbina, and many more cut their teeth with die, the Dye organization. While many prodigies have developed their own design philosophy and aesthetic, most share his belief that the best courses are not built from plans, but evolve in the field, with plenty of breathing room given to serendipity and on-the-fly inspiration. His designs, his courses are some of the most immediately recognizable in the world. While the first impression is often like yours, one of hellish difficulty, his golf holes usually give the attentive player a feel for how they are meant to be played. And uh, I mean, I can go on and talk about a lot of those uh, different courses, but uh, again, the most known to me, and it's one that is a masterpiece, known as a masterpiece. And for your money, if you ever want to go to an amazing golf course, go to Casa de Campos, Teeth of the Dog. That is his masterpiece. Not only it is seaside and tropical, but he made full use of his Scottish sketchbook there with wickedly angled tee shots combining with open-fronted greens that allow for a running shot. And by the way, that coastal run that is from 14 through 17 is one of his best. Don't take my word for it. Go and see it. You will see what I'm talking about. And that is what, when you talk about uh, Pete Dye, is you're remembering about his golf courses, his impact, his mentorship. We already talked about it with Chris Slutsky and all those others that I mentioned. But definitely, like you said, he's going to be sorely missed, but his impact will be forever remembered in the world of golf. Right? Yep. Uh, we lost a, we lost a really good one. Um, and, uh, but he left his mark and he's, he will not be forgotten anytime soon. He won't. And with that, we finish our practice range, our tribute to Pete Dye. Uh, now let's talk about some final putts to close the show. The first one, I'm going to talk about Tiger Woods, who has announced his first two starts of the year. After a build 2019, he begins 2020 at seventh in the world and will make his first start of the year at the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. Uh, he has won at Torrey Pines. This is surprising because how would he pick at the course where he has won eight times, including seven Farmers Insurance Opens and his 2000 US Open, 2008 US Open. It makes no sense, right? Then he'll make his second start of the year at the Riviera for the Genesis Invitational in LA. He hosts a tournament that has been upgraded from an Open to Invitational this year, so it means that that's going to be a smaller field, inflated purse, and a three-year exemption for the winner up from two years. Uh, this is an event that he first attended with his dad, and he also made his PGA Tour debut here in, in 1992. But incredibly, he has never won that event. And finally, you know, my first impression of the Trinity Forest Lynx golf course when it hosted the Byron Edison in 2018, wow, this course is amazing looking. I mean, it reminds me of Chinnacock Hills. It really looks nothing like Dallas. This is going to be fabulous. My next impression, 
roughly 10 minutes later, wow, there's no shade within a mile of where I'm standing. <laughs> Fans are going to melt. And they did. I mean, all of those who came there, uh, it's a late May golf date uh, on a treeless course. Well, thousands of trees around the layout, but they don't factor into the tournament or provide any degree of comfort. It was always a bad idea. I mean, we learned that oh, that is over. The 2020 the Nelson will be the final one held at the South Dallas course. Eventually, the tournament will move to PGA Frisco. But it may need to make a stop over back maybe at the Four Seasons TBC for next year, which to me is sort of like telling your ex-wife, hey, things didn't work out with my new partner, uh, but I need to come home and crash before moving on to my next one. Is that okay? Uh, that's how it sounds like. But So after two years of weather setbacks, disappointing attendance, and declining financial results, the PGA Tour has decided that the 2020 AT&T Byron Nelson in May will be the last one held, Fred, at the Trinity Forest Golf Club. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, that's the way it goes. Uh, Michelle Wee, remember her? She used to play a little golf. Um, she announced that she and her husband, uh, Johnny West, are uh, expecting their first child. Um, she did so on uh, on Twitter, uh, holding uh, he and her, she and and Johnny were holding a pair of miniature tennis shoes. Um, so you know it's it's official because it's been on Facebook. So it's official. Um, the RNA has announced that it's going to help out with the LPGA and the Ladies European Tour joint venture. Uh, they've committed to help the newly formed joint venture. Uh, in its effort to significantly go playing opportunities, financial incentives, and television exposure for women's golf in Europe and around the world. Uh, they're going to provide some financial support and also help with other things that they can do. Martin Slumbers, the chief executive of the RNA, said building a strong and sustainable ladies European tour is fully consistent with the aims of the RNA Women in Golf Charter. So good for them. Uh, James Hahn is trying to make a comeback. You remember him? Uh, he was the guy dancing on the on the greens. He uh, before he played golf, he sold Jimmy two shoes, uh, and so uh, partially torn triceps has been keeping him with the game for uh, well for over six months. And uh, so he's on a major medical, and he's got a year to to make enough uh, to match the number 125 in the FedEx point list from last year to get uh, full membership back. Uh, that wraps up those kind of things. Carlos, I want to mention we put a couple new uh, videos up, travel videos up on Back9Report.com or Back9Report TV on Roku. Uh, one is about our trip to Quivera uh, down in Baja, Mexico at Los Cabos, Cabos uh, San Lucas. And the other one is about uh, uh, the Great Waters course at Reynolds Lake Oconee, the uh, renovation and the grand reopening there. Also, the Ohio Golf Journal January issue is out, and it features uh, Arcadia Bluffs Golf Course in uh, up in uh, Michigan. Great pictures in there of the course, and talks about the new South Course and the clubhouse and all that good stuff up there. So, uh, uh, Carlos, we got a lot of golf uh, for everybody. Ohio Golf Journal, Michigan Golf Journal, Back Nine Report TV, Back Nine Report. We cover it all right here. And that Back Niners wraps up another week. January 14, 2020, 
on the Backline Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Chris Lutsky. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. If you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. Also, like Fred mentioned, Roku TV. If you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Backline Report. The number nine is in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.